The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. I am so lucky to have Anita Watkins join me today. She is the Global Head of Qualitative Research at Kantar. Welcome, Anita. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. How are you today? Doing great. It's a cold and rainy day, but um, I'm cozy tucked inside my home office, so it's all right. That's fantastic. And how thankful are we for home offices on days like this? It's great. (laughs) It works well when you have this miserable weather like we're having today. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm so lucky that we met at the last CEO Summit, and I really enjoyed your presentation about you know, qualitative and and some trends that we're seeing in the in the industry. But before we go into that, I'm just fascinated by your story and how you got to where you are today. Okay, great. Well, thank you for that feedback. Sure. I'm happy to talk about this journey. It's kind of crazy. It's a lot of people in this industry have done. They've sort of fallen into it. But when I got out of college, I started out in sales and insurance sales. And it was not my favorite job. I'm not going to lie, but I was resilient and I kept working hard and didn't let no, you know, scare me away. So I got my tough skin built up, I think, during that time period. As a part of that, there was a, a newly acquired part of a portfolio for ING Group, and they hired a consultancy to come in and say, what do we want to do with this marketing department? So I was kind of getting some attention in the company for doing well. And I was young and female and and all of that. So they said, you know, why don't you go out and do some focus groups with the field sales force? And I had no idea what that even was, but I was like, sure, I'll try that. Why not? I I literally went up to the attic. This is a true story in my townhome and got my marketing research textbook out (laughs) in college, looked in the index and yes, lo and behold, focus groups was in the book. So that's cool. I sort of taught myself how to do that. I went out and did that. And I was driving along after the presentation. I was in this boardroom and these executives had flown over from Europe and they were listening just on pins and needles of everything I had to say in these recommendations. And this light bulb went off and I said to myself, I wonder if there's a job for qualitative research out there. And this is so much more fun than you know what I was doing. Right. But for my personality anyway. And so sure enough, obviously there is. And so I got my job, believe it or not, out of a newspaper. This is how long ago this was. Now. <laughs> so I uh, applied. And of course, the first thing the um, hiring manager at the time told me was, well, you know, you don't have enough experience. But I hung up the phone and I went to my husband and I said, well, she basically said no, but you know she's going to basically hire me at some point. And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I'm going to get that job. And he said, she just told you no. And I said, I, you don't take no for any answer. So I love that. I, I love that. I literally faxed her a note. This is back in the days of yeah. faxing. I faxed her a note the week later. And I said, here's the three reasons you should let me take you to lunch. So I took her to lunch the next day. She agreed. And uh, I got the job. So that was a happy Good success. Good for you. Story. Yeah, yeah. So that the message in there is, you know, Be tough, but if you know that you're trainable and you can learn, you know, hopefully you can just don't give up and whatever you think you are called to do. 
So I definitely felt like I was led to this job. So got into the job. And then from there, it was just, we, I was a, working at a small firm that was later okay. acquired by TNS. We later merged and were acquired many times, almost every three years we went through this. And finally we became, you know, one of the largest research firms on the planet, Cantar. Wow. And so all throughout that time, I was leading the U.S. team, and that was exciting. And in 2009, I had this idea. I started looking around the globe and seeing these other qualitative leaders, and we started to share notes. And so this one friend of mine and who sat in the Asia-Pacific region, she and I teamed up, and we said, let's lobby the executive team in London and have them maybe make a qualitative practice, a global formalizes. Seems like there was a lot of, you know, copying, wheel spinning and and sharing and all this. So they said, yes, we're going to invest in that. Well, of course, I wrote the job description for Global Head of Qualitative. And of course, throughout the whole time, I said, comma, Anita Wack in 2009. Of course, I had big eyes and thought, oh, this is the job I want. Well, to fast forward, of course, I got overlooked not only the initial case, but I got overlooked four more times. So wow. finally in 2017, it was my turn. And boy, was I excited because it really merged my passion for understanding cultures and travel and the love of just understanding people with this nature of being, you know, a really large practice on the planet. So uh, I was super excited to finally get this job and end of 2017. That's amazing. Well, and that's what I remember from your talk where in 2009, you said, I'm going to ha- get that role. Like yes. that was your vision. Exactly. And, and I'm curious though, the four times that, you know, you kind of wanted to get it and you didn't yes. get it. Yes. Were, how hard did that hit you? That was hard. Yeah, that was hard. The first couple of times, I guess I probably expected it the first couple of sure. times. Well, I'm probably too green. I'm not quite ready for this. There's other people much more experienced. And then someone who became my mentor got the role in 2012, and she really took me under her wing. I really learned everything so much from her. I completely transformed the way we did work. We Mm -hmm. we pushed our quality initiatives way farther, faster than we ever did in the U.S. team and then in the Americas region. And then I took on working with some of our biggest clients. And what I learned from that later on and looking back on that time period in the 2010 to Mm -hmm. 2017 timeframe was actually, if I wouldn't have had those experiences, I would not be the same leader I am today. And I certainly have more experiences to gain. I don't know everything. Absolutely not. But I definitely had so much more to learn, which I didn't really know that I did. Yeah, you don't know. I was doing it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's so true. It's so yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And leading big client relationships, I had led some, but none to the, to the degree. Yeah, the degree that I did, and I definitely didn't push the quality initiative as hard as I should have that I did in in the last few years before I took the global role. So it was tough, but um, at the same time, looking back on it, yeah. I'm so glad I had those extra yeah. years because then I brought so much more experience and insight about what it is to take on some transformations into the global role. So that was great. I totally agree with you. I think when you go through it, and I think as you mature, you realize there's a reason why maybe it's not this time. But when you go through it and you don't have as much experience, it's hard. But looking back, you always find the reason why it might have happened that way. Yeah, exactly. And one of the reasons too, I have to say that I stayed was probably just the fact that there aren't very many roles like this Mm -hmm. in the world. So for global qualitative roles that have a size of a team that Kantar does, there's not very many roles like this. So I kept saying, 
you know, you can always go be a freelancer. You can always go join a smaller shop. You can always do that. But the only time this other opportunity is going to be available is as long as you're here. Yep. And I was still learning so much too, like I mentioned from other people in the business, Mm -hmm. not even just in the qualitative space, but all across the industry leaders Mm -hmm. that we had existing in Kantar with expertise around brand strategy or innovation. Those are things that I absolutely kept pushing myself to try to learn. And there's so much more to learn. It's changing all the time, of course. But that's my other advice to anybody listening is just adopt a mindset of the growth mindset, yes. lifelong learning, just keep Going. yourself open. Yeah. You just never know. I totally agree. When your turn, it will be. You know, it's funny when you talked about, I'm going to get that job early on. And here are three <laughs> reasons why I'm going to, why you should hire me. I did something similar to you and it, I completely forgot about it, but I remember I wanted a job at Dell Computers and I would not get any response back. I made a huge poster of my resume and I sent it to Michael Dell. Oh, wow. I love it. And I got the job, which was cool, but I ended up not working there, but I did end up getting an offer there. But yeah, it's kind of like, just keep going after what you want. Keep keep trying. Exactly. Yeah. And I I always tell um, people, you know, graduating or looking for roles is to to don't give up, but also try to find out what you can bring to the company that nobody else can, that you're going to do because obviously the business that's going to benefit from you working there, that's their orientation. Right. Um, exactly. It's not kind of about you. Like it's what you can bring to the table. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So you got the role and obviously a few years later, we had a pandemic, a global we pandemic. Did. Oh my gosh. What well, happened? It was crazy. So of course I get the job and <laughs> the first two years, you know, 2018, 2019, yeah. I mean, I'm flying around, I'm, 12 countries in 12 months and meeting teams and, you know, all the strategies that we knew to put in place, we put in place and we were activating it and and it was, we were growing and we were forming a global community. I mean, it was just, I was having the time of my life. Yes. On top of the world. And in 2020 in February, just before everything shut down, we managed to sneak in a meeting with 65 of our global qualitative leaders from all the various countries. Now, some people couldn't attend, you know, some Mm -hmm. people in China and Singapore and Japan, they were already in in sort of travel bands, but we snuck it in. We had hand sanitizer out, we knew (laughs) something was happening, had a great meeting. And then just a few weeks later, literally the lights go off, don't they? I mean, the whole world shuts down. Yeah. 49 of our 55 countries in April of 2020 were in a lockdown. Wow. And at that point, we had 85% of our work was online. So, I mean, sorry, it was on in in person. person. So we were, you know, doing some online work, but not much. So 85% of our work, basically, we were shut down. So we had to figure out what are we going to do to, first of all, try to save these projects, right? (laughs) Continue to get insights for clients, pivot, be able to execute the work, strike up agreements with platforms, et cetera. So we did lose some work, of course, but we're able to shift and move, move it to online. Within about six weeks, we had about 90% of it moved online. It was crazy. That must have um, been like 24-7, it was, just trying to it shift was everything. Nuts. Yeah, it was really nuts. We had great partners like Schlesinger Group mm-hmm. and others that we really relied on to help us. But And everybody really around the world rolled up their sleeves and would train each other and work with each other. That was one of the most exciting things. But talk about, you know, feeling just vulnerable and disappointed and just, I mean, I was crushed because here we went from, you know, living my best life basically to 
oh my gosh, (laughs) this job I've waited for all these years to get, it's going to go away and all these things are going to end. And what are we going to do with all our people? And oh my gosh. I mean, it was just so stressful. But the message in there is even if you don't have a plan, which I love to have a plan, right? big planner. You're a big planner. There was no plan for this (laughs) pandemic. Absolutely none whatsoever. But I guess my advice there is just take the first step, you know, Mm -hmm. get on the first phone call, get the people that you know you can rely on and brainstorm and just take one foot and put it in front of the next. Even if you're not exactly sure where you're going to end up, you just have to start moving at some point. But I literally was almost paralyzed that very first Friday the 13th. I remember that in March, just thinking, oh my gosh, what are we Yeah. I mean, you make such a good point that forward motion is really important, even though you don't know certainty, there's no certainty to what's happening, but taking those steps are important. And I think, you know, even pandemic or no pandemic, it's, I think sometimes, you know, you hear about all the anxiety that people experience is just take baby steps and create some momentum and move forward. Yeah, that's right. Because the uncertainty is not going to end. I mean, you know, we might be through the worst of the pandemic. Let's mm-hmm. hope. I mean, yes. we still have COVID around, but let's right. hope through the worst part of it. But we still have lots of uncertainty, don't we? Yeah. We have, you know, a war in Ukraine. We have mm-hmm. lots of turbulence. There's all this, you know, discussion about a global recession. We have mm-hmm. inflation we're dealing with, all these issues. So it is impossible to plan for everything. I think, yes. as and that's one thing I've started to have to get comfortable with is yes. the fact that you can put all the best plans in place, yeah. but then you may need to pivot because yeah. you just don't know what the world's going to yeah. hand you. <laughs> one of my favorite quotes that I always say to myself: "The one thing I can control is my attitude." That's basically yes. it, right? That's it. That's right. That's it. That's, that's it. it. <laughs> that's right. That's and it right. feels easy, but it's so hard at times it's when you hard. just look at that list of topics that you talked about that are in our world today. Yeah. But I will tell you the two other things that I've done quite a lot, of course, is journal. I journal yes. a lot. So I, I'm a script processor is what we call the thought center that I really like to process problems and think my thoughts kind of by writing. By writing. Out. Okay. You know, so I journal a lot. And then the other thing is I do pray. I okay. think that's a good thing. And then I do talk to, you know, colleagues and I, I really do have a more collaborative style of that's great. Reading, of trying to problem solve with people that might have different points of view, because I know I have a lot of response. Yeah, that's great. So what has changed for qualitative research post? Well, I won't say post pandemic, but you know, in the stage that we're in now. Yeah, well, this is a great question. There's so much that's changed. So we've Mm -hmm. already talked about the mode, which is now we have seen most of our markets are still doing the bulk of the work they are doing is still online. Okay. I don't think that's going to change dramatically, although we do see it coming back to in-person work in some markets. And I know mm-hmm. we'll see some of that, but you might see 20, 30% go to in-person versus, you know, where it was 85% right. pre-pandemic. So I think the mode is definitely going to stay online. Okay. I think the topics that we're covering now mm-hmm. are fantastic. So what we're seeing from the COVID, we call it the COVID lift up from the okay. dark year of 2020 to the better, you know, rebounds in our mm-hmm. business last year and this year. But it's the questions that clients are coming to us to answer, which are really big and meaty and interesting. And they're all about that early stage exploratory, really trying to understand how mindsets and behaviors have shifted. Because worldwide, what we uncovered in this pandemic was that most human beings, the dominant universal emotion is vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And how people handle vulnerability is really different. Very many coping skills that humans have to handle that, but it usually manifests itself in different behaviors. So it's trying to make sense of that. 
we know basically every way we lived our life was disrupted mm -hmm. almost globally. This is, I can't think of another moment in history that's been so dramatic in my lifetime, definitely right, in right. my lifetime. So clients really want to understand that. They also want to understand the changing values and mindsets of all the different generations. You know, mm -hmm. we see all of these political challenges, not just in the United States here at home, but in a lot of Globally. countries. Yeah. Right? yeah. They're having a lot of different social unrest, political strife. So, and, and the generations are also bringing new mindsets into mm -hmm. what they expect from, from brands and products and services. So I think the clients are asking all the right questions and they're asking big questions. And then finally, I think the other thing is this moving to a more human centric approach, mm -hmm. which we talked about earlier, which is, you know, in the past, we used to think about consumers and, you know, consumers really implies the moment someone buys my product yep. or they use my product. It's like a transaction. Yes. But really, we want to understand much more that we understand the whole human and mm -hmm. the human in context. So we always talk about you know, the four sort of big influences on human behavior are emotions, our rational brain, our emotional brain, and then of course, our social and cultural influences. So the fact that we don't just make decisions in a vacuum, we're heavily, highly influenced by our closest friends, our family circles, where we live in the country, where we spend our time, who mm -hmm. we spend our time with, we're heavily, heavily influenced on that too. And also our culture, we have these cultural codes that sometimes you can't even understand until you leave the country or leave the region and come back to it. You say, oh, that's so true. That's interesting. You yeah. know, I didn't notice that as a difference. Yes. And I think you're going to see the one, the companies who really use imagination in mm -hmm. the future. Um, and this came from our Cantor Insights 2030 work will be the ones that really uh, succeed and outperform those who don't. Imagination in terms of how to reach humans or? Yes, and sort of okay. understanding understanding people and then using that imaginative ways of working to inform their brand strategy or their creative, yeah. uh, their new product development. So using all of that human centricity and those insights to kind of fuel their corporate imagination is going to be um, what makes the difference. It's When you talk about it, it makes perfect sense. When I think about it as a marketer and I think about, holy moly, how am I going to put all of these macro, not even trends, but like lenses yes. to understanding how I'm going to ultimately sell more product? Right. It feels like a pretty audacious task. Yeah, it does. I think yeah. it does. And it probably is to some degree. Yes. There's definitely ways to kind of break it down and think it through and frameworks to use and things right. like that that can help us make sense of these big questions that can hopefully point to clear ways forward for, for brand. Yeah. So, yeah, I think so. And it, it's funny because, you know, when you, when I hear myself talk about this idea of becoming human centric and, you know, yeah in the corporate imagination. It's interesting because it's like, you know, don't we do that already? Right. We, <laughs> yeah. Common sense. Well, actually not really. That's, it's true. Right. <laughs> we it's don't not, always yeah. see that doing. <laughs> so, um, so I think that um, we can always have room for improvement. Definitely. And I think big data is wonderful and we have so much of it and we yes. have new processes and analytics methods to help us understand and make sense of that. And, but it's getting to the why and making sense and finding the story and that the human part of that data is what's yeah. going to make the difference for competitive advantage. And I would imagine as we all go through this shift of, you know, going from consumer centricity, to human centricity, we start unraveling universal truths that yeah. cut across different cultures and yeah. and different population generations. I mean, that's a hypothesis, but yeah. I would imagine. I you could be right. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So let's talk about empathy. I know a lot of your focus has been training your team, getting them kind of refreshed and being able to continue to develop their skills. Yeah. And you talked about empathy training um, when we, yep. when you and I spoke. And I, I'm always fascinated about how do you train people <laughs> to be empathetic? <laughs> I know, right? It is yeah. kind of interesting. It is kind of interesting because I think it's one of these things that you could sort of be born with that. And yes. it's like a natural skill. It sort of feels like one of those kind of things that you sort like of- Like it's have. innate. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think you can turn it on. You know, I think you can turn on the lens in people. A lot of the empathy training that we've done in Kantar, we've created our, a lot of our own training materials on the subject. And there's little bits and pieces that exist all over the globe. I've personally taken a lot of inspiration from Brene Brown. She's yep. done quite a lot on her books with Dare to Lead. And she's done some really cool talks about the you know vulnerability and mm-hmm. kind of wrestling that for becoming you know your sort of leadership qualities and whatnot. And empathy is really at the heart of a lot of that. But, and then there's, of course, there's lots of online classes. There's other stuff you can take mm-hmm. that's out there. But I think that the biggest thing is just getting people to role play and sort of turn on the mindset of, what if I put myself in this person's shoes and I try to imagine life and take myself back and we do some, just some simple techniques, like a guided mm-hmm. visualization, you know, just try to put yourself in this person's story, you know, close your eyes and focus on this photo, but, you know, put yourself back into this time and place right? and what it might be like, and then contrast that to your world. Mm. And what would that be like when you're an adult, you know, this yes. is how you grew up. So it's really just trying, we can never really walk in someone else's shoes, can we? But what we can try to do is pause for a moment and take a deep breath and put our own Mm -hmm. worldview aside and our own kind of way of seeing things and just try to imagine what life is like for someone else and see and feel that. Mm -hmm. And I always talk to researchers that at the end of the day, if you did in-depth interviews, whether they're online or in person or whatever, and if you're doing a really good job of listening and feeling you are actually physically exhausted by the end of the day if you've yes. done a good job. And yes. you can probably relate to this. If you've ever had a conversation with a best friend or your yep. lover or whoever, and you really are into it and you're mm-hmm. really feeling what they're feeling, you can be drained. Very uh, true. Yeah. yeah, you can be absolutely drained by the end of it. But that's because you're taking on the emotions mm-hmm. of the other person. And that's actually a physical feeling. Reaction. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And so it's not for the faint of heart. If you do this right, if you do it like a robot, you can zoom through 20 interviews in a day. Right. But I always tell clients, you're not going to get the best moderators who can do that because truly people who want to see the world from someone else's lens and feel what they're telling them feeling, it's a physical reaction that you have. You actually take on their emotions. So yeah, I don't think it's too hard to turn on, but you have to kind of practice if it's not a natural yeah, skill. And can you feel it like when you're moving, not moving, I, I'm sure you're empathetic in your life, but when you're doing the research, can you feel oh, yeah. your body shift? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. Yeah. Absolutely. And then what would happen is back in the days when I was moderating myself, yeah. and traveling, I was doing a lot of it in person and I would literally get back to the hotel room and my body would just feel exhausted yeah. and my brain would just be wired. I could not shut my brain off and go to sleep. I'd just be like processing everything, everything that's telling me. And it was just so fascinating. And part of it was just my own curiosity about mm-hmm. their lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the subjects that we research obviously are not that emotionally charged or they're not right. the deal, Yeah, but some of them are, you know, yeah. some of them are kind of uh, interesting and powerful and, uh, regardless of the case, if you're really doing it properly, you're really trying to just 
forget your own world and just kind of immerse and live in their world. And it it is kind of um, an exhausting process, but it's so wonderful and rich. And I can still remember individual respondents from different sessions. You really? Yeah. Oh yeah. All through the years of things people would tell me and I'd say, oh my gosh, that just would stick with me throughout my whole life that I remember. That's amazing. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. Anita, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, um, well, thank you for having me. And uh, just a shout out to any of uh, the users of qualitative research or anybody who is considering being a qualitative researcher. You know, what a fascinating field that we have to be able to try to understand people and make sense of, of how to move societies and companies forward in a positive way in these uncertain times. So I just say, go for it. Use empathy and see what we can bring to make the world a better place. And be resilient. And be resilient. (laughs) That's right. We need it. (laughs) Thank you so much. All right. And we'll keep in touch. I'd love to have you back on the podcast in the near future. That would be great. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.